it is 11 a.m. in New York, 5 p.m. in Johannesburg, and 10 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to this special edition of Expat Happy Hour, focusing on intergenerational wisdom. This is Sunday Schneider Bean from sundaybean.com, and I'm a solution-oriented coach and intercultural strategist for individuals and organizations. And I am on a mission to help you adapt and succeed when living abroad and get you through any life transition. What is it? really mean to stand in your power? What does it look like to accept yourself? What happens when you start doing what seems like a foreign language, moving from self-criticism to self-love? If you recall, I promise you something dramatically different back in episode 226, The Space Women Crave that I dared to share what I believe. And in that, I asked you as well to imagine. I asked you to imagine a world where women come together across generations as a powerful force to break down harmful narratives. We're fed about relationships, marriage, family, career, our bodies, success, aging, and more. And in this community, we discover our own humanity and strength to embark with open eyes in new ways on our path ahead. This was part of an invitation to all of you to momentarily hit pause on your demanding modern lives, opting instead to reflect, share stories, as well as offer and receive support. This is an invitation to speak openly about the areas in our lives where we feel disconnected, unsatisfied, and maybe even lonely. A forum to address the barriers we feel inside and talk openly of what we hunger for. This is an invitation to discover and share our wisdom in ways that are expansive and nourishing. Wisdom. Intergenerational wisdom. We started this conversation last week in episode 227 with Renee Washington. And this week, we continue to explore the questions that drive me. What do we discover when we get women across generations together and we have open and deeply honest conversations? Well, this week, to continue that conversation, we're joined by Marianne Talkovsky. She's a licensed acupuncturist esthetician, master certified life coach, and she's in her 40s. She focuses on body positivity, diversity, equity, and inclusion. She guides her clients to find their most authentic expression of beauty in radical self-acceptance, regardless of the messages our culture has inundated us with to consume, perfect, compare, critique, and feel less than enough. Marianne, thank you for being here on Expat Happy Hour, this very special edition. I'm so happy to have you. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> so let me brag on you a little bit. Um, something that's really interesting about um, Marianne is she her teaching is really, really founded in this idea of investing in self-care and owning who you are. And I, 
I think that's so important because what I've noticed working with women is there is a fear or there's cultural messages which don't give us permission to own who we are. And she says it's the ultimate act of healing, love, connection, and beauty. And that is activated not only in one's soul, but for all of humanity. So you see things bigger than just us as individuals. So she stands for all humans to raise their voices against forces of oppression, especially diet and hustle culture. Since becoming a mother, she has shared that you are determined to create a world where your daughter knows what self-acceptance, self-care, self-healing, and self-love looks like. So that is an amazing mission. (laughs) (laughs) I think you have your work cut out for you as well. (laughs) Every day, every day. Oh, you shared briefly, and I don't know all the details, about four or five major life events. One was battling an eating disorder in your youth struggling to belong, which I know so many listeners um, can identify with, the pressure to not speak out about injustice, overworking, and the social erasure of Asian American Pacific Islanders identity in this battle with the model minority identity. Any one of those are struggles that can be debilitating for someone and you are what I've seen from your work. You are on the other side of many of those, or you are focused and poised to do the battle, <laughs> right? To do the work, let's say social justice work, um, despite all these challenges. So I'm really curious. Um, you've overcome all these challenges. When did you? even know, either as a young girl or an adolescent, that you were struggling? Oh, gosh, that's a big question. Um, well, I should share my, my background. I'm half Filipina and half Caucasian. And both of <laughs> those backgrounds are multicultural. You know, mm-hmm. in the Philippines, there's the Spanish and Chinese influence and Indonesian influence. And then Caucasian, my father, I always joke around. He was a Heinz 57 Caucasian, Italian, German, Irish, American Indian. So um, I have always felt like I, I was an outsider that I just did not belong. And he was also in the military. So I was always the new girl. So I was always willing mm. to fit in and, and, there is, I know, um, a piece of me that is has always been there, this um, innovative rebel. Like, as much as I wanted to fit in, I also didn't want to fit in. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that has been a, a, um, a piece of me that I know has been ingrained since, since I can remember. Um, so there has always been a struggle to feel like... I don't belong. And I, um, regardless of your background, I think even as a woman, you know, there's many times where we've been marginalized and can feel insignificant or powerless, or maybe we don't have a seat at the table. Um, we have to work harder to get that seat at the table. I feel like that has been just this common thread for me in my life. And the eating disorder piece came up because, you know, I was told at a very young age, 
if you want to fit in America, you have to look a certain way. And so I didn't Mm. know that there were other women that looked like me because I was raised in predominantly um, white communities. And so for Mm. me, I was trying to look like people that were not, I was never going to look like, but had no other model of my genetic uh, structure from my ethnicity. Right. So that piece. Right. We're also talking about, I mean, 40 years ago, I mean, we're, you and I are both in our forties, right? Right. right. And I think about the media that we were gobbling up at that time. Yes. Like impossible standards. Exactly. And I still see it now. I mean, working in the beauty industry, in the beauty field um, with, you know, getting older, being in my forties, Botox and this pressure mm-hmm. to stay young and youthful and, and be unlined or unwrinkled and, and again, impossible standards. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. The media, uh, whether it was uh, magazines, billboards, commercials, or now social media, these messages we are inundated with, Oh, you have to look like this. This is what is accepted as beautiful and quote, perfect and acceptable. So again, that outsider piece, I didn't even know I felt like an outsider. I always described it as alien. I just didn't feel like I Mm. belonged here. Mm -hmm. How old were you when you were feeling alien? So my eating disorder didn't start till I was 14. But I remember Mm -hmm. when I was 10, getting that message and realizing all of a sudden I'm looking at my friend who's blonde and blue eyed and we both went to McDonald's and I remember, Oh, you go first. And she ordered and I, I, I watched what she ordered and then I realized I'm not going to order anything. And it was the first moment that I realized, Oh my gosh, I'm putting pressure on myself. It's, not a healthy behavior, but I did it anyway. And the hiding started. Mm-hmm. So that's at 10, at 10, at 10. But let's just pause. Like how in the hell did a 10 year old girl get in her head that she's going to skip a meal, right? Like imagine the subtle messages that were coming to even lean to that thought. Yeah. Right. That's terrifying. And, and this isn't 40 years ago. This is happening now, right? This is also happening now. So you notice that. And then what happened? So that was going on and it wasn't just immediate family. It was even friends. Um, it's, it's just fascinating to me now because I can never imagine myself saying this to another child as a mother, but I had friends, mom saying, um, Marianne's going to struggle with her weight when she gets older. So there was this Mm -hmm. imprinting that was happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew even at that age, a part of me was like, I don't like how that feels. And and that person didn't make me feel good. But it was also like, they're an adult and they're telling me I'm going to experience this. So there was that piece that was going on. And then there was another side that um, my father, you know, he had a very strong work ethic and his, his belief was, you want something, you gotta, you gotta work for it. 
and you got to work hard. Mm-hmm. And so I think I started to, at that point, translate, okay, not only am I going to be accepted by the way I look, but also what I achieve, how hard I work. I have mm-hmm. to be a good worker. And so these two dynamics started to form where it was not accept how I look and also mm-hmm. work really, really hard. I mean, I started working when I was 10. I um, would go. How is that mom. even legal? <laughs> yeah. I would go with my mom to the office that she worked at and they would let me file. And then I would go home and wow. um, my dad paid me a dollar or no, $5 a week to clean the house. And it was his way of like, stay, stay out of trouble. Wow. As I got older, I started to realize this whole piece of why am I so tired? I'm working so hard. I never stop. You know, in my thirties, mm. I went through adrenal fatigue and had struggled getting right. pregnant. And it was, you know, through my whole understanding of Chinese medicine and realizing you have to rest, you know, fertility is about creativity. It's a very slow yin experience. It's, it's about receptivity and our culture doesn't support that. It's more Mm-mm. go, 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 go. And it took me understanding the struggle with that to link to my upbringing. Well, I've been wired this way. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Dangerously, a dangerous combination of those two things together. Right. Yeah. And like the value of, you know, work hard. It's like, sounds innocent on the surface. Right. But when, when it's tied to self-worth or it's taken to the extreme, um, it can get really dangerous. So when you, with hindsight, or maybe, maybe not even that, like, I love that you knew at 10, you knew at 10 something, but there was also a power dynamic with adults. Like something was wrong. So there's a couple of questions I have, like, um, now that you've got the benefit of wisdom, decades later, you look back on the situation. Unfortunately, a lot has changed, right? We do know there's a body positivity movement. We do know we have more information about eating disorders, yet it's still super pervasive, right? So it's, it hasn't gone away. What, what wisdom would you like to share with mothers and fathers who are listening, who are raising girls, just like you in this current context, what do you wish that they understood? Oh my gosh, there's so much there. You know, even before my daughter was born, I had a fertility struggle with her for about a year and it just wasn't the time. And it it, it part, part of it was, I think all the alignment had to happen, not just me wanting a child so bad, but also me doing the actions to slow down and allow that to, to actually take space in my life. Um, so while I was going through that piece of creating space, I was also realizing setting intentions. I did not want to pass on my, my stuff to my daughter. I mean, no one gets out alive, <laughs> right? But I wanted to work on my stuff and not pass that on to her so I could be prepared for whatever else she needs support on. Um, so I had vowed, you know, like 
I remember growing up and watching, um, you know, I'm not, not necessarily my mom, but other women, I'm going on this diet, I'm eating this way, I'm weighing myself every day. And I just realized like that had to shift. I could not raise my mm-hmm. daughter watching me reject my body every day. Um, the, it kind of frightens me when I hear you say that, because it reminds me, we as parents can give all the positive messages in the world to our children, but who, which adults we spend time with are also passing on messages um, and are as powerful, if not more powerful um, than our own parents. Right? That's frightening. So what I'm hearing from that is be really careful who you're friends with and the messages that they send to your children directly or indirectly. Yes. Yes. And, you know, the thing is too, I, I realize I want my message to be so strong that she feels she has a voice. So I, <laughs> I actually learned this the other uh, last week, which is something that I feel is a golden nugget um, for, for conscious parenting. And that's anytime I say to her, I love you to say, I love me too. So oh, now so we're in this of, I love you and I love me too. And, you know, mm. she's three and a half. So I get to teach her that it's okay to love yourself. It's okay. Mm-hmm. In fact, I want you to love yourself. So we're starting mm-hmm. there. Listen, that concept, honestly, was like a foreign concept until recently, like this idea of self-love, like we have to put the word self in front of love because it's not, as as we say in German, selbstverständlich, it's not a given. Like why, why is it not a given? Why is it that it's not assumed? Right. Right. I had, um, you know, I've told this story before, but it's, um, a really dear friend of mine had terminal cancer and I went to see her the last two weeks of her life. And one of the gifts she gave to me on that visit was she shared her battle with loving herself. And she said, you know, I, I see the beauty in everything. She has this gorgeous apartment. She does has great style. Her plants are amazing. Right. And she said, I see the beauty in everything. But at one point I realized I wasn't including myself in that world. Right. And she said, floor to ceiling, wall to wall, everything being equal, that it's, what I've watched is women my age in their 40s battle with learning to actually stop self-criticizing and start having compassion to themselves or loving themselves. It literally, it is like a foreign language, except for the people who are, you know, yoga teachers, meditation specialists. It is not in our normal language. Tell right. me where I'm wrong. It's, it's so true. And, you know, part of my work is when I start a session with someone, we look in the mirror and I have them describe their features. I focus a lot on Chinese face reading because that's a branch of Chinese medicine that helps to the face tells a story, tells us who we are, who we came to be, our experiences, our challenges, our struggles, our patterns. So when I talked about wrinkling, you know, your wrinkles really do represent who you are. And I've had some people that they really struggle looking in the mirror. They don't even want to look at themselves. Mm -hmm. And when they do, they find the things they don't like, or um, they feel it's vain to look in the mirror. 
And it all starts with, you know, how we look at ourselves, how we embrace our own identity. I know in the past, what's really stopped me from putting myself out there and showing up and serving is my inability to embrace my identity. And, you know, that's just even most recently with the Black Lives Matter movement and Stop Asian Hate, all of these things are starting to come up. I'm starting to realize, oh my gosh, I've been taught, conditioned, wired to reject Mm -hmm. my identity, who I am. Um, And so what Mm -hmm. I've learned, you know, this is another piece that I I really would love to share with, with humanity, with parents, with anybody is, you know, we have to recognize Ego is a vehicle for identity and we have to recognize those pieces in order to get to the heart. So when people are just all about that positivity, because that can also be damaging too. It's a spiritual bypassing, a toxic positivity that people can't connect to because they're not really identifying with the shadow or the real or the identity pieces Mm -hmm. that we need to recognize in people. That's their stories. That's the experiences they come to the world to have through certain lenses. And we need to be able to embrace that and hold space for that in order to get to the heart. Embrace that. What does that look like in an everyday thing? Because I know embrace it sounds easy, but it is so freaking hard. It is. It is. It's, you know, it's, it's interesting Sunday because I was working with a coach, um, in 2020, January, 2020. And I had told him, I just want to feel weightless. I am tired of these body positivity struggles. I've gotten to the point where I, I still take photos. I never took them in the past. Um, I don't, you know, like pull myself apart, but there's still that instantaneous, you know, unless Mm -hmm. I've hired a photographer who positions me in a certain way, or I'm having a really great day. Anyways, I had told him, I just want to feel weightless. I, and, and not just in body, but spirit, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was explaining to him, you know, my mother loved watching beauty pageants. She really would get off on Filipinas when they would win. Guess who mm-hmm. won this year? Because mm-hmm. that was recognition. And that was how you got off the island in her experience. Mm-hmm. So I'm explaining this to him. He didn't really know what I looked like. He lives in Taiwan and he started to explain to me, you know, Filipinos, um, their biz- biggest export is overseas workers. So he was working or living in an area where he was surrounded by other Filipinos. So he started to describe to me, he said the word outlier, a beauty pageant uh, queen that's Filipina is an outlier. And my brain started to short circuit. I didn't understand what he was saying. Um, I knew something was going to start shifting. And he started to describe when I've seen a Filipino, their body type, and he started to describe my exact body type. Mm-hmm. And I realized I've never been raised around other women that looked like me. And so I've always just been conditioned to reject my body, reject mm-hmm my Asian American Pacific Islander identity Mm -hmm. even. Um, And my mom, I know she made that sacrifice as well for me to fit in to be an American. But now I'm starting to wake up to, oh my gosh, I want to know more about this part of me. 
and I want to, you know, express and connect and understand other people that are going through this as well. And so I haven't 100% embraced my identity, but I'm on the path, especially now that I have a daughter who is Filipina, Israeli, American. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. want her right. to also, you know, connect with her roots and, and feel like, oh yeah, that's where I come from. That's a big part of who I am and, you know, embrace it. I'm a woman or however she wants to identify. For me, I'm a woman first. I'm a woman. I'm a mother. I, I want to own that identity and not be ashamed of it. So how do you own that identity if those identities are not valued in your current context? So this is what's fascinating because, again, just recently, this is another epiphany that came to light for me. I... um started doing some research on imposter syndrome. Like what is, mm-hmm. what is imposter syndrome? Which interestingly enough, that came, that term was coined in 1978. So it's just as old as I am. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but I started finding articles on how BIPOC women are most likely to experience imposter syndrome in professional settings because they are not used to seeing someone who is in a position of authority or has been promoted. So when I started to understand, okay, why am I not feeling like I'm recognized? I mean, I'm even doing the work to recognize myself. What is going Mm -hmm. on here? And then when I read that article, I realized, well, yes, there's that ego piece, but then there's also the cultural piece. And so, yes, I'm still going to have to do the work myself, but also understand we're dealing with a pervasive issue and I might just have to be that pioneer and that rebel piece Mm -hmm. of me, that innovative piece of me has, gets to step up in that arena. Mm -hmm. So I may not have all of the answers, but I do know that the cultural shift that's happening will start with me standing in my own power and even if I don't know how to navigate that, I'll figure it out. Right. Like, what does it look like to stand in your own power on, cause this is the whole thing. Like let's stand in our own power, but what does that look like in a normal day? Because standing in your own power sounds sexy. Yeah. Doing it can f- be hard. <laughs> does that make sense? Oh my gosh. I was feeling this on Saturday. Uh, Sunday, Mother's Day, because I'm six months pregnant. And earlier that last week, someone had said, you don't even look like you're pregnant at all. I I was wearing something that was covering. And then I had another person, you know, on Saturday say, you look like you're having twins. Are you sure you're, are you sure you're not having twins? And so I'm crying like, oh my God, I, I want, I want to enjoy this pregnancy, but I hate my body. I hate what's going on. You know, um, so yeah, like accepting yourself is really freaking hard. And Mm -hmm. um, so I had to take a minute. I had to take a minute and be like, okay, I'm going to feel the feels. This stuff, I'm I'm triggered. I recognize it. I've been through it before. It's not where I want to stay. I know where I want to go. And so just rerouting. But I had to give myself that minute. I didn't, I couldn't just stuff it down and ignore it and pretend like it wasn't happening. Um, I had to t- 
talk myself through, it's okay to be where you are. This is what's happening. You know, this is real. Mm-hmm. Again, recognizing the shadow piece, mm-hmm. uh, what's what's going on. And then again, refocusing, well, where do I want to be? I want to feel good about the rest of this pregnancy. I, I That's going to require me to change my mindset and also to make different choices if I'm not doing, you know, what I need to be doing to feel better. And if I still don't, if I do all those things, I still don't feel great. You know, like there's a surrender piece too, just giving over to acceptance. So that's one side of it. I feel like you gave a really important process to, to help people see what that really means, right? Like this is also my journey, the journey that I have with my clients. Like we all want to stand in our own power, but what you just shared was it, it took you really allowing those shitty feelings to come through you, right? Pausing, acknowledging them and then saying, okay, what's going on here? And there was some self-love there, like not shaming yourself further, but going, okay, this is where you're at. Right. And then having a bigger vision of where do you want to go in terms of your vision with your, let's say in this situation was with your body or your pregnancy and then giving yourself permission to be exactly where you are on your journey and then surrendering if you're not as far as you want to be. Like, that is what I mean by this is hard work. And and the reason why I want to pause and really emphasize that is I want people to know if it's hard, you're probably doing it right. Not doing it wrong. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and like if it for- sucks, you're doing a great job. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you for pausing and reflecting on that. Um, it, cause it, it is not easy work. And, um, the other piece I want to say is I think being a healthy filter for information that comes in, you know, um, looking at other people that may be modeling what the bigger vision is for you, you know, but also being a healthy filter and like, well, that's achievable for me, or that's not achievable for me, you know, so we're not comparing or trying to be something we're not. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's making sense, but I, I was looking for other moms that are further along in their pregnancy that are feeling yucky and ugly and disgusting. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. how they're they're dealing with it, how they're feeling about it. So, and it's the same thing with, um, race, multi being multiracial. Now there's more voices I'm seeing on Instagram, especially speaking out mm-hmm. about how they feel, right. what they've experienced, their upbringing, how they've been oppressed and silent just to fit in, how they've tried to make themselves small just to fit in. God, it's, it's so huge. And it makes me feel like, um, there's something there around, I'm not alone and there's nothing wrong with me, right? Because you see other people going through it. It's like, oh, it's not me. And there's something really validating about that. The fact that you said you're actually looking for other moms who feel like shit in their pregnancy, right? It's like, please tell me I'm not alone. And there's something so powerful about being in community with people who get it. 
you know, yeah. or maybe a little further on the road to pass on, to pass on knowledge. So I have, um, I have kind of a provocative question. Um, I took my son to a dermatologist. He had to have something really simple removed from his foot. And while I was there, there were um, three photos up. One was of a woman maybe in 20. Another one was 40. Another one was 60. And each had a key word like enhance, preserve. Like basically, I don't care what you look like or what age you are. You're not good enough. Right. And I looked at it with my son and we and I said, look at, look at those. What? And he's like, that's not okay. And I was so grateful that he knew that was not okay. Right. And I was pissed off at, at the, the doctor, the dermatologist. I was pissed off at the beauty in, in, industry. I was pissed off when I went to the waiting room and I saw like some, I don't know, butt tuck thing or cellulite, whatever. And I was pissed. I'm like, how can you even work in this industry when these are the messages that you send? So I'm so curious how... How do you engage? You actually work part of your work. I know it's not all of it, but part of your work is in the beauty industry. How do you operate in that space and, and negotiate those ideals that are put in the industry or even with the clients who come and are looking for support from you? Oh my gosh, Sunday. That's a big question. How old is your son, by the way? He's 12. He's 12. Oh, I love that. I love mm -hmm. that. He's growing up that way and thinking that way. So thank you for raising him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying hard. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I have a lot of women that come to see me and um, I know that just being able to touch their face when I'm doing a facial is such a privilege. It's such an honor because your face, it's so much about who you are. It's the most dynamic part in your body. You know, your body can't change mm -hmm. as quickly as your face. Your face can change in 10 seconds with an expression. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always wanting people to see, you know, no matter how you're changing, how you're shifting, it's an alignment, honestly. It's an alignment um, in terms of how you take care of yourself on the outside which really is mm -hmm. to me an expression of how you're honoring your self-worth, how you're valuing yourself, what you're saying to yourself, and then mm -hmm. also what you're putting into your body, like how you're nourishing yeah. yourself, how you're fueling um, yourself. So those three things are really, to me, what expresses true radiance, and that's going to show up in anybody you know, you could do all the procedures you want. You can wear all the makeup you want. You can change the way you look externally. Nothing is going to change your expression, the radiance that emanates through your eyes. You know, Chinese medicine would say the heart mm -hmm. houses the spirit and reflects through the eyes. And, you know, if your spirit is, is uplifted by all of these things, again, it's an integrated alignment it will reflect through your eyes. You know, I always mm -hmm. love that Roald Dahl quote, think good thoughts and it will reflect through your face like sunbeams. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I really do believe that, you know, um, the way we take care of ourselves is going to show in our health and our, um, I even prefer the word radiance to beauty, to be honest, um, because it's energy. I love it. So, that gives me chills when I hear that. <laughs> oh, let's start talking about radiance. Let's have radiance as a goal, not beauty, right? Like, 
Yes. More, please. Yeah. And I love to that. Understand that, you know, it's all about how you're taking care of yourself at any age um, or yes. stage of your life. That Imagine how you would handle your life differently. Instead of saying, I wish I were more beautiful, you could say, I wish I were more radiant. Right. And then if you want to be more radiant, how do you, what do you have to do differently? Like the answers are completely different. Yeah. I think you're on to something. This is gorgeous. <laughs> yes. Listen, and I'm going to be really transparent. I, um, it took a long time for me to start taking care of myself. I used to think so kind of an academic nerdy girl. Um, and probably cause I'm from, I'm a very, like I'm a blonde haired, blue eyed American girl. Right. So I, I already had like accepted standards in society. Right. So I didn't have to negotiate that. So that was easier. Right. And I remember thinking, Girls who wear makeup or put a lot of time in their makeup or their clothing or even work out the gym, you know, a couple times a week are self-centered because they're so focused on their, on their out, outer looks. Right. And so I would judge them as so bad. I was judgy. Like, but what I, what I realized what I was missing until I actually embodied it myself was actually depending on how, if people are coming from a place of self-shame and self-loathing or a place of looking for radiance, right? right? Was that if I take really good care of myself, right? Through the foods that I eat, through the fabrics I put in my body, for how the fabrics make me feel, right? The colors that pop and make me joyful when I see that color in the mirror, right? That wasn't self-centered. That was actually just an energy management tool. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes. You're speaking my language. <laughs> yeah. But it's, I think it's, I think so I'm, I'm, t- I'm speaking to all the girls out there, right. The women out there who, um, who were like me and thought it was s- selfish or superficial. Um, my own journey was when it was from a place of, I care about myself enough to pay attention to how my body feels. That's when the shift happened. Yes. And, and I say right while you were explaining that because you're not alone in thinking that way. A lot of women, I notice even just buying a product, there is this mm-hmm. battle with, oh my gosh, am I worthy of buying that product? You know, I, mm-hmm. and how much they spend depends on how much they think they're worthy of and worth, you know, right. exactly. So um, it all goes, comes back to, I love you and I love me too. it's beautiful so our time is is coming to a close quickly I'm just curious um you've got so much life experience and I know you also have a huge journey behind you and you have one ahead um I would love to hear from you spontaneously what what wisdom do you have now that you wish you had when you were 30 or maybe even 20 hmm the biggest thing I think about that, because I had some time to think about that question, um, is the external validation piece. I have spent so much time looking outside of myself for acceptance, wanting someone else to tell me I was okay. And feedback, feedback loops are important. I mean, that's how we grow. That's how I've grown in my business. That's how I've grown in my relationships. Um, But I also know now, and I also know now, that being okay with who I am, 
like when I look in the mirror, being okay with my identity, who I am, and not just identity, but my heart, that I, I, I can hear feedback from someone and not be shaken, not be triggered. Um, it doesn't happen all hundred percent of the time. Like I mentioned that just last weekend I was feeling triggered, but Mm -hmm. you know, the snapback resilience is strength. So I can recognize it and move on. So mainly it's being so connected to myself. And when I'm not connected to myself, how do I need to get, get there? Being so connected to myself that um, I don't look for someone else to tell me I'm, I'm worthy or I'm good enough or I know enough or I do enough, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that's big. That's really big. And I'm thinking all, I mean, all my recovering perfectionists out there or all my current perfectionists that are listening, I call myself a recovering perfectionist. So I really identify with that piece of external validation. And I hate even saying that out loud. I can, I notice there's some shame there, like shit. I'm, I am someone who has been stuck in my self-worth being defined by my, by external validation, right? Straight is at school. Right. You know, really happy when I got a great job, like the fancy title, right? Like there's shame there of being like, Ick, really? Um, and there's something else there going like, of course, yes. of course, right? Why wouldn't I? I was, you know, we're taught to, to strive, right? But we're also taught to look outward for approval and for the certificate or the grade or passing the test or fitting in or, or whatever, right? We're not taught to go in. So thank you for bringing that up. I think it's a really important one. And for the people that are listening to this, you're going to know if it's for you. What I love about what I've seen you do on, on Instagram and how you, you know, you share bits about raising your powerful daughter. She's so gorgeous. <laughs> um, you know, you, you're, you're now, I think, um, bearing fruit from the hard labor, right. Of all that hard work to let go of external validation and to stand by yourself, right. For yourself and drop those pressures. So this is like a great harvest time, right. Yes. Um, and that's what's so beautiful about being able to have wisdom about something that's hard earned. What, what are you hoping you're celebrating when you're in your sixties? Oh my gosh. What am I hoping that I'm celebrating in my sixties? Hmm. Let me just sit for a quick second, drop in, see what really is speaking to me. Oh, I think that the, um, I think that the stuff we're experiencing right now with race is going to be the biggest shift in our culture that you and I will ever see in our lifetime. And I really, really hope that there are more women that can hold a seat at the table, like my coach, Susan Hyatt, um, has I really, really want to be on the forefront, um, pioneering for that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, if you are in a place of advantage, extending a hand, I'm hoping even before 60, I can get there for others. That's my intention. Yeah. I can, I can feel it. It's big, huh? Yep. Whoo. Me too. <laughs> me too. So, um, is there anything left unsaid that you'd like to share with our listeners today when they're 40 and kind of sharing our generation or they are, you know, maybe 10 or 20 years behind and looking forward to, to that decade themselves, anything that's coming up for you that you'd like to leave with them today? I just want to drive home, you know, it's okay to take a minute in the mirror. You really look at yourself and let your heart speak through your eyes, whatever you need to hear. And ultimately just really listening to the message of your own heart. So that alignment of the ego and the heart can be your most radiant expression. Hmm. Well, that is definitely what I'm taking away from today is this idea of let's just drop any ideas of beauty and embrace this idea of radiance. Thank you so much um, for everything that you've shared. Thank you, Sunday. Thank you for having me. As you can see, Marianne is amazing. If you want to know about her, we have more in the show notes. She guides all walks of life through the tenets in her signature program, Bare Skin, New You by Design and Show Up and Serve, and Attract and Impact with Radiance. And since she's been committed to the message, she's never felt more radiant, happy, healthy, and powerful. And I know she wants that for you too. You can find out more about her in the show notes and her programs are there all under MarianneTelkovsky.com. Stay tuned though, because next week we're going to dive in with another amazing woman and we're going to learn from her hard earned wisdom. This is all part of something much bigger. As you know, it's something called the Wisdom Fusion Project. If you haven't heard about it, make sure to check it out in the show notes. In June, my business is celebrating its eighth business birthday. And so I can celebrate. I'm offering a gift to my community and also a little bit of a gift to myself. This is an intimate and invitation only experience, six weeks of intergenerational learning among women. You can learn more by going to the link, Wisdom Fusion in the show notes. This is no cost, but spots are limited. So apply if you feel called and feel free to share it with anyone from 20 to 70 plus, because it is certain to be transformative. This is an opportunity together you can discover new facets of yourself, learn from other women's hard-earned wisdom, share your journey and support others who just might need it, discover you're not alone in your challenges, become part of an intergenerational community of women to call upon for support in the future, and redefine womanhood on your own terms. You are invited, so check it out. You've been listening to this very special episode series of Expat Happy Hour with Sunday Schneider Bean. Thank you for listening. I will leave you with the words of Brene Brown. 
You either walk inside your story and own it, or you stand outside of your story and hustle for your worthiness. 